good morning. I'm Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here. I just really want to welcome you uh, to, to the Vineyard Church and welcome you to, to this community, and, and I'm just really glad to see everyone. Um, before, before we dive into to our sermon today, I just, I just want to pray um, as, you know, I woke up this morning and saw the reports and, 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 and then connected with, with the one in Gilroy last week because I've actually been to Gilroy and spent a week there. Um, there, there's, uh, just a, a, a deep sense of, of, uh, of, of loss and pain and, and mourning as, as we think about those, um, that, that have been, uh, affected. And so I just want to take a minute so that we are, we don't become desensitized, like that, 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 that never happens, um, in this. And that the moment it does that we would, um, that we would turn back and, um, and so let's, let's, let's pray. Father, We just ask for your spirit to come right now. For the great comforter, whom you call the spirit, would be with all the families that are suffering right now. With all the friends that are suffering right now. With all those who have experienced deep loss. And I pray again, as I prayed this morning, that just a little bit of light will shine in this deep darkness. You said that when there's just a little bit of light, it extinguishes the darkness. And we ask for that light to come right now in, in so much pain. Three different cities, three communities that are devastated. Help us to stand with them, to walk with them, to not just pray for them, but to think about them. Father, help us to become and to be agents of light in the midst of this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, fun fact, start a new series today, and uh, it's called The Divided Kingdom, Stories from the Book of Jeremiah, and this is something that I have been diving into for a long time now, and I, I, I am excited that we get to, f- get, get, get to unpack a lot of this and, and just really begin to see what it looks like to be those agents of light that I, that I was just praying about. Because as divided as it seems we are right now, we are no more divided than Israel has been in its history. And so we have this story from thousands of years ago that is so relevant to today that I'm just, I, 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 my prayer is that we can we can receive this and, and, and let it transform us and, and become uh, something that, that, that God has, has called us to do and, and to be, which is to, uh, to, to, to bring unity in, in the midst of severe uh, division. And so we're going to be working through Jeremiah. Now, the prophets, when, so in, in Scripture, there's a section of Scripture called the prophets. And 
they're a little bit tough to read when you don't have a ton of context. And so we're not going to just read through the book of Jeremiah. That would be so boring for you. And you'd be like, uh, I'm going to skip church next week. <laughs> um, but we're just going to highlight a few areas that actually are where they, they kind of tie together. And we're going to look at the, 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 the main theme. And so one thing we say in the vineyard a lot is we talk about the main and plain. All right, so there's like this, all these things in scripture, but there are like these main themes and main stories that tie together. And so we're going to focus on the main themes and the main stories in Jeremiah. And we're also going to look at actually what Jesus was doing as he, he referenced some of the stuff we see in Jeremiah and, uh, and, and, and look at what it, what it looks like today. So I, I'm really excited. Are, are we ready? Yes. Okay. All right, all right, all right. So our focus will be in Jeremiah, but we're also going to look at how um, uh, this actually ties to other parts of the Old Testament. And there, there's like these linkages all the way through. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. So if I said that I met a good Samaritan last week or that I met a Samaritan last week, what crosses your mind? Just think about that to yourself. It's probably, you're probably thinking that it was probably a good person, right? A lot of nonprofits aimed at helping people are named in some form of Samaritan. Good Sam. Samaritan's Purse. There's one nonprofit called Samaritans. Samaritan's Hope. And the list goes on and on. There's actually some laws called Samaritan laws, like the one in New York. So there's a law in New York that says if you try to save someone's life and it doesn't work, uh, you can't be sued by that person because 21st century people would sue you for trying to help them. But there's, there are laws in place now called a Good Samaritan law that says you cannot sue someone for, trying, for them trying to help you. And so we actually have a deep cultural definition of the word Samaritan. We like the Samaritan. We want to receive help from one. We want to be one. But we also need to challenge our casual understanding of a Samaritan to hear what Jesus was actually doing in the parable, the Good Samaritan. How he is challenging us and how he is trying to form our souls and, and character into a person that reflects his person. So let's look at this parable. This parable is going to come back a few times uh, this, this, this next month, but let's look at this and, and we'll, we'll dive in. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. A Levite was even like a higher order priest. When he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, those seven verses over the last 2,000 years have defined for us culturally what it means, like what's a, so what Samaritan means, right? To the point to where the first thing we think of a Samaritan is a good person. This is the problem. As, because so much time has passed, we actually now miss the audacity Jesus had when telling this story. Like, the, it is one of the most insulting things he could have said or done because of the people he was talking to. You know, we hear this as a defining point for our understanding of Samaritan. The religious leaders and the disciples who heard this story, they heard it very differently. You see, at this time, there was a deep divide between Judeans. So Jesus was a Judean, and the disciples were Judean, and and those religious leaders that are there, they're all Judeans. And I'm going to show you a map soon so you can see that. So there was a deep divide between them and Samaria and Samaritans. A, a, a centuries-old divide. Sometimes that was just a deep hatred for one another. And so when Jesus is telling this story, the hero of the story is the person they hate most. Do you know why there was a division? So to find out that answer, we have to go back to another prophet with a J name, Jeremiah. This time, it's not our savior prophet and named Jesus, but a prophet calling out for rescue. So this will be our work in this series, to understand the roots of division, not just in Jesus' time, not just in Jeremiah's time, but in our time too. So let's, let's, let's dig into this together. So the, for the last year and a half, one day I, I, was, at a, um, I was at a training in, in Jacksonville um, that I, w- I was being trained at. And after that weekend, I just, I sensed this call, this, this, this call and desire to learn more about my namesake. So while my name is Jeremy, my mom named me after the prophet Jeremiah. And so I started diving into not just this book, but other literature uh, to help me understand more about Jeremiah's life. And as I'm reading things and discovering things, I just, I really resonated with a lot of what I was reading and understanding. I was like, I mean, we could call it coincidence, but it just seemed like I had a lot in common with Jeremiah. See, Jeremiah's first mission was to reunite Judea and Samaria. And as someone who grew up in, in, in a very, in one of the most diverse cities in the world, and as someone who, 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 who has now lived and has been in a place for many years that, that experiences so much division, and, and, and we see it everywhere, it has always been my heart to find unity and it's just something that's always just ran deep with inside of me and, and something where my, my, my heart breaks whenever I see a lack of it. Uh, they called Jer- Jeremiah the weeping prophet because he, like, he was just always sad because 
there was this break and he wanted to be whole. And so I'm going to do my best not to weep, but I can definitely resonate with the weeping prophet because my heart is broken so much as I've seen so much division. So before we go into this a little bit, I, I have a question. It's more of a test. Pastor fail. There, there are no C's here. All right. I'm kidding. Relax. People just got really stressed. How many kings of Israel would, do you say that there were? And, and when you look at Israel's history, how many kings? All right. If you say A, raise your hand. Oh, okay. All right. B, raise your hand. All right. We got a couple for B. C, raise your hand. All right, we got a few for C. D, raise your hand. A couple for D. E, raise your hand. All right, F, raise your hand. Okay, so we got to split pretty much evenly. I see we all just like, all right, we're going to do the, the SAT guess thing. I'm just going to pick a letter, right? The answer is D. <laughs> So the three people that rose their hand were the only ones that got it right. Jess, I know you guessed. Don't take, don't, 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 don't try to take credit for that. I know you guessed. <laughs> yes, your prize is you win free coffee and water. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty surprising, right? There were only three kings of Israel. Saul, David, and Solomon. And so this is a bit of a trick question because Israel lasted longer after Solomon. So this is what happened. After Solomon, Lynn is really interested in this right now. She wants to know <laughs> what is happening. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lynn. That just is making it so much better. So, after Solomon, Israel as it was no longer existed, okay? And so Solomon's son took over the reins as king, and the ten, tri ten northern tribes of, of Israel didn't like it. And so they seceded and became their own kingdom. And so they became known as Israel. And then the, 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 the last two, uh, the, the bottom two um, tribes, uh, Judah and, and, and Benjamin, which were the largest ones, so that's why they were pretty split evenly, became Judea. And so you're going to want to keep that in mind because as you read the, the, the New Testament now, it's going to like un un unpack a whole bunch of stuff for you. <laughs> and so this division happened, this break happened right after, during a critical time. These 10 tribes didn't, didn't want this king, and so they said, peace, we're going to be our own kingdom. And so Israel, as we knew it, was never the same. What was once united became divided. And so over the years, these two kingdoms, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, the hostility grew between them. There was a civil war and more than a couple one side, you got to imagine that this used to be 12 tribes that were so you close to each other. These 12 tribes were enslaved together. These 12 tribes found freedom together. These 12 tribes were one. 
And there came a point during one of the wars where 10,000 people died and the other side didn't mourn. Didn't care. What was once united became divided. Each side made allegiances with more powerful empire, with more powerful empires. They sought to destroy the other side. Over time, stories were told, and though the war stopped, the animus and division remained. They were never as powerful, as wealthy, nor as stable when they divided as they were when they were one kingdom. What was once united became divided, and God wept over that division. That brings the the Good Samaritan parable into a whole new light. Centuries of war and hatred for your own family. And so the word Samaritan came from the capital city of this new, smaller Israel. The capital city was called Samaria. And that particular ethnic group, which was Jewish, they were like considered the the leftovers, the, 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 the bastards of the community. So here comes Jeremiah, some young kid who has no desire to be a prophet, but walks into it anyway. And as I mentioned before, his mission, his first mission was to unite the northern and southern kingdoms. His first prophecies were like, come back together. He was fully aware of how each side felt about the other. He acknowledged their pain, and that's what's key here. He acknowledged their pain, acknowledged their injustice, and their point of view. You see, Jeremiah had a unique position in, the, in, in this call. See, so let me show you this map. I forgot to show that. So you see here, we got Judah and we have Israel. Okay, and so those were the two kingdoms that were once one. And so Jeremiah, I wish I had a laser pointer, then I wouldn't have to like come way over here, but I don't, so oh well. So Jeremiah was born like right in the middle there, right in the center of those two kingdoms in a place called Anatoth. And so basically, he had no allegiance through his birth to neither Judah nor Israel. And so what did that do? That gave him a lot more credibility. And so now the words that he was saying carried a lot more weight because each side didn't feel like he was biased to the other. And so let's look at Jeremiah 3, 12, 14 and 15. Therefore, go and give this message to Israel. And so when we say Israel here, we're talking about the northern kingdom, okay? This is what the Lord says, oh, Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful. I will not be angry with you forever. Return home, you wayward children, says the Lord. For I am your master. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. One from this town, two from that family, from wherever you are scattered. And I will give you the shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. So there's this this beautiful image that Jeremiah paints of just this division being like just Israel, just, just a little child that is just running away. It's like, come back home again. A couple months ago, Dan talked about the parable of of like the prodigal father, right? Just how lavish that love is. And so when you read this, like 
you can't help but think of this father that just wants his kids back together again. He says, come back home. We need to be one again. So going back to this parable of Jesus, it brings up a few things. First, this parable confronts centuries of hatred. Centuries. Probably about 700 years. Today, this parable confronts our hearts to draw us closer to him. It should cause us to reflect internally to the division we see in our own lives. And how we are viewing those, how we are viewing those who, who we consider to be in the wrong. So this is the thing. Israel, let me go back to that map. Israel considered Judah to be in the wrong. Completely, 100%. They were in the wrong. Guess what, Judah? Judah thought Israel was in the wrong. Right? No matter which way you skin it, they're the problem. And what does Jesus say? No. They're not. When Jesus was sharing this parable, he was speaking to the people from Judah. To those from the southern kingdom. As he shares this story, you have to wonder just how insulting it would have been to hear that. But also how Jesus wanted to bring those he was discipling. And those who were supposed to be leaders, those who were supposed to be leading Judah, to a place of seeing someone that they reviled that they thought were nothing as someone who reflects the very nature of God. So, like, that's what I want you to grasp right now. In this story, Jesus is saying, that person who you revile, who you think doesn't bear the mark of Christianity whatsoever, that's actually the very person who who, who embarks what Christianity is. You know, one of the destru- most destructive things that has happened over the last 10 years or so, and, and, and I've seen it, and I've said it, and so it's something I've had to grow up. It was like, if you were really a Christian, you would do this. That is no longer helpful. We got to stop saying that. And if there's anything this parable teaches us, is, is that. Out of all the people, the priests, the Levites, Those were Judeans. Those are the ones that walked on the other side of the road. It was the ones that they hated, the Samaritan, that reflected who God actually was. Jesus is saying something very difficult right now. It's hard to hear. It's hard to listen to. And it it is difficult to to digest that. But the Lord moves in the other just as the Lord moves in us. And we cannot forget that. Now, when we talk about Jeremiah, if, we, if you've been in the church for just a few years or longer, or you just, you, if you read any kind of no, devotional, what's the first scripture in Jeremiah they sent you to? Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? We're not going to hit that scripture once this series. <laughs> not once. Because we use that to talk about our individual prosperity, our individual plans, what's going to happen for us. 
But this series today and the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what God wants for all his people, for the larger community, and how we get to be a part of that and what, he, and what he's saying, asking us to do. And so when we say community, community is two or more. So we're talking about, yes, this church community, but we're also talking about your families, your relationships there, your relationships at work, in that environment, and our larger city. So we need to look at all those layers because all those layers are talked about in this story. Now, I've talked about this before, but I want to hit it again. In Hebrew culture, Hebrew culture is very different than Greek-Roman culture, okay? So the U.S., our Western culture, it comes a, comes a lot from Greek culture, okay? And so we tend to compartmentalize things a lot. Well, I have, you know, here's my work life, here's, here's my spiritual life, here's my family life, so on and so forth. So we have all these different boxes we put things in. And in Hebrew life, that wasn't the case. It was all one. It was all, it was all one thing, and they all kind of merged together. And so as we talk about these things, we, have to, we can't just think about, oh, how does this just reflect my spiritual community? It's like, no, this actually affects everything. So there's one more important thing that I want to uh, share before, before this, 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 last, this last part. So Jeremiah talks a lot about Israel turning from God throughout, throughout, throughout his book. He's like, hey, just get rid of your destructive behavior, please. Israel, just stop doing these things which are destroying you. Okay, he, he's asking Israel to seek justice, to seek righteousness. But before all of that, before all of that, the first thing he says is that we have to come back together. Which is just really interesting to me that that would be first. That before anything else, like we like to focus on character and, 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 and all these other things, which are important, don't hear me say they're not, but the first thing God said, come back together. And the implication is, I can't do, I cannot accomplish what I have intended to accomplish through you until you do come together. That's the implication that, that God makes in, in the book of Jeremiah. See, God's ultimate goal was to bless the whole world, bless the nations. That's what it means. The nations in the Old Testament means the whole world. And he says, I cannot do that through you until you come together back together. And so if God wants us, his people, to be a blessing to the rest of the world, is the implication not the same? That we cannot do that unless we are together. So kind of rounding out towards the end here, and so I want to talk about one key thing and, and that's a little more practical. So when we talk about unity, it's important to differentiate between that, that word unity, and, and sameness. Okay? See, too often we define togetherness by sameness. Y'all with me so far? That's not at all how God defines it. And we see this laced out throughout all of Scripture. See, division exists in so many layers of culture and identity. 
It seems to be the default when there's any kind of rift. I disagree with you, so we must divide. And so this idea is uh, we must agree, we, we disagree, so we must divide is just perpetuated over and over and over again to all the different factions we have now. Something else we say or do is a call for unity, but it's unity on my terms, right? <laughs> like, we must unify, we hear it over and over, if you do it exactly like the way I want you to do it. Like, we don't say that, but we basically say that. It's unity on my terms. That's not the kingdom way either. Like, this is the whole thing about behind assimilation. If you conform to my way of doing things, then we can be in relationship or community together. Often it's not conscious. Like, we don't realize we're doing that, or it's, or, nor is it overt. But we create parameters by which we expect others to abide by in order to create some semblance of unity. But really, it's just sameness. I'm going to say that one more time. We create parameters by which we expect others to abide by those parameters in order to be in community with us so that we can say that we're unified. But I have a question. What if the unity God is looking for is not dependent on someone agreeing with me or doing the things the way that I want them done? What if unity is defined by our desire to put the interests of the whole above the interests of self. What if unity didn't require same thinking or same believing? Now, this can be troubling, right? But isn't this simply the ministry of Jesus? People having different beliefs about the world coming together to follow this singular person? Everything in the New Testament is about a group of people who have very different beliefs about the world coming together and following Jesus in one form or another. It was hard for the disciples. But unfortunately, we modern-day disciples don't have the same success. But we can. So, you know, what if we conflate our beliefs about God with our cultural standards? In other words, is it possible that we tie our geographical, political, and cultural belief systems with our faith belief systems? Is that possible? I mean, we want to say that, no, that's not us, right? We want to believe we don't do that. We want to believe that our spirituality is, is, is pure and that our belief systems are pure and that all these things exist on the other side. But the reality is they're tied together. We tie them together. And so this is why. We tie them together because we want to believe we are right. Yes? That this way is the way. I, I found the way, this is it. And that our understanding of things is the right one. And so as we do, we find community or relationships to be much easier with someone who has that same belief system. It's just so much easier when we're just when we're with people who just agree with everything we say, <laughs> right? 
it's much harder to have that same relationship and to care for someone else's well-being when their belief system is vastly different. Even if the core of it is the same. So that's the thing. Our core beliefs are actually not that different from most people in our, in our larger community. It's our geographical, political, and cultural identities which combined with these beliefs shape them. And so we say, oh, well, this is what it means to be a Christian. What if we don't actually have the complete picture of what it means to be a Christian? What if there's a broader definition that maybe someone else has that we could learn from? But God is calling us to this very thing, to find unity with those who are far apart from us. But seeking out this togetherness and community doesn't happen by getting that other person or group to believe like I do or to have the same way of thinking. No, what's required is mutual understanding and a mutual desire to be salt and light in the world together. Because if, if, if my whole goal is to get you to believe exactly like I do and to think exactly like I do, that can actually create more separation than unity. But it's actually possible to be with people from different backgrounds with different viewpoints in the world and say, okay, I don't necessarily agree with that or I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> and so because of that, let's actually walk together. Let me understand you a little bit more. Let me have a deeper walk because you see something and you have something that I do not. There's a promise that God makes to Israel if they will choose to unify despite their vast differences. And that promise is wholeness, prosperity, stability, which means something a lot different for uh, a nation that was overrun. There's nothing we experience now that they hadn't experienced then. Been a country for what, 200 years, give or take, 250? I, I know how long we've been a country. <laughs> but we've been a country for a couple hundred years. This lasted for 700. There is nothing they experienced in that we that is new for us. And so what's my point in saying is that we can get there. While this promise is for Israel, what Christ teaches and what this parable teaches is that when we respond in the way God is asking us to, we will find that same rest and joy in our families, in our relationships, and in our city. There's a lot of healing that needs to take place right now. It needs to happen in ourselves as we reflect on the relationships in our lives that have been strained. It needs to happen in our families that have been torn apart. It needs to happen in our city, which is on the brink of even more division. Our practical tip. Identify a few areas of division in your life. It can be from anywhere. 
as I just mentioned, we, we mentioned all the layers, right? Spend some time in prayer and ask God which relationship he wants you to seek reconciliation. Okay, number two, more of an activity. Take a piece of paper. Oh, you can't see it. Let me try it again. Oh, there it is. Take a piece of paper. Draw a circle of the community closest to you. Then draw a circle around that of a larger community that you're connected. Keep drawing until you've reached all that you can think of. Now, what's, what's important in this exercise is, is, is like honesty. Because the thing we do as, as Christ followers, we, like, we know what the right answer is. And so we put that because we want to be like in line. But we can, when we can actually face what's really happening inside of us and just be honest about that and vulnerable even to ourselves, that's where the work gets done. Like we don't deny things that are going on. So keep drawing until you've reached all that you can think of. And then ask yourself, who's missing? Who are you avoiding? And that parable, they didn't just walk by the man on the ground who was beat and left for dead. They walked to the other side. <laughs> they completely avoided him. And so as you do this, who's missing? Who are you avoiding? And that can be a person, a group, whatever it is. And what is God inviting you to see? What is he inviting you into as this gets exposed? As we dive into this stuff, and as that stuff gets exposed, like that's when it's the hardest, that's also when the best stuff happens. That's when we find the most healing, the most redemption. And the second part in particular, the second step, could be really helpful if you did it with someone that will kind of hold you to, to, to doing it well. So I, I'd, I'd recommend that you do that. Okay, we're going to transition now into communion and into prayer as we want to just honor what God has done right now and just seek him for what he's doing inside of us and, and what he is calling us to do in our larger context. So let's stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. And so there's going to be a prayer team up here for anyone who just is ready to take this next step and, 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 and wants help and just wants some prayer with someone to, to say, I, I'm ready to do this. And so we'll have teams up here and in the back. And then we also have the communion table. And the communion table is there to remember what Jesus did, to remember his sacrifice, but it's also a place of encountering him. Like this, this was set up so that we could meet Jesus and experience this transcendent love that we can't get anywhere else. And so we practice open communion. 
And so if you feel at all compelled and have a desire to meet Jesus at the table right now, we want to invite you. You are welcome. And so we have a station here under that projector and and a a gluten-free one in the back for those who have an allergy. And so we want to take this next period of service to just worship and seek God and find some transformation in our souls. Father, we thank you that you are a God of mending, that you are a God that brings things back together, that sews together the rips in the fabric of our lives. So we ask that you mend and you help us to be those that would be agents of mending. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.